Welcome to the My Essential Birth Podcast. I'm Courtney. And I'm Stephanie. And we're professional doulas, childbirth educators, and the creators of My Essential Birth, the holistic, empowering online childbirth education course helping mothers everywhere confidently achieve their best birth. So join us each week as we share tips and advice for all things pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you can be the first to get new content. And head over to www.myessentialbirth.com for more information about our birth course and to join a community of mamas just like you. All right, this week's reviewer of the week is H. Rosie Mom. She says, great podcast. I love this podcast. It is easy to listen to in chunks at a time hashtag new mom life (laughs) and relatable. I just gave birth and found this podcast a few weeks ago. So I searched and listened to relevant episodes to the stage of pregnancy I was in. Now that I'm postpartum, I loved the postpartum episode. Keep it up. Thank you so much for your awesome review. I know that we've had this urge and push and desire to like speak a little more postpartum. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. (laughs) But first, you guys, we're going to tackle a topic that We've been avoiding for a while. (laughs) Honestly, so we're podcasting. We do these in batches and we're we were really trying to avoid doing this one today. Oh, we'll do it next time. We'll do it next time. But I feel like it needs to be talked about. A lot of you have been requesting an episode on vaccines for a while, and I hope you can appreciate the hesitancy, right? They become such a polarizing topic. And honestly, we've built this incredible community the My Essential Birth um, community and the podcast community. And we just really don't want to have division. We don't want that bad mojo and energy. And so um, here's the thing, though. It's a decision you're likely going to be hit with in pregnancy. And certainly within an hour or so of your baby being placed on your belly. And so just like we did with circumcision, just like we did with unmedicated versus medicated birth, we hope we can bring some balance to this topic and empower you with the tools to make the decision that's best for you and your family. And that decision will likely look a little bit different for everyone. And that's okay. That's okay. We support you all along the way. And even Courtney and I, as with everything, have done different things with our children. And we're still friends. So (laughs) if we can do it, you can do it too. Um, I think the main thing that we want to teach you is how to be your own good researcher and advocate, Mm -hmm. which is kind of the same that we do with birth. For birth too. Nothing different here. Uh, It's all about informed consent and making your own decisions. But it can be difficult to come by accurate information with all of the blogs and friends with Facebook and (laughs) right all the places that everyone has their own opinion and agenda. And so we've certainly felt that frustration. um, And especially with the recent global health issues that we've seen that we won't name right this right there's a pandemic on the horizon um anyways and issues that we've encountered in the past so the idea is that you'll be able to gather your own information accurate information and then make a decision on your own right and so we're going to teach you how to do that and then after that we're going to wrap up with an example of how to research in the way that we've shown you using a vaccine off of the current cdc schedule for children um here's here's what you need to know during this example we will not be telling you whether or not you should get that vaccine or not get that vaccine for your child that's not our place in fact 
as doulas, one of the things I have to let my clients know is that I can give you information, but as a doula, I cannot make the decision for you, even if I know. Anyway, so that's the same thing here. We're not going to make it for you. We are going to be presenting you with information on the illness itself and then let you be the judge on whether or not you feel you want your child immunized against it through vaccination. We're also going to be discussing and including the vaccine ingredients, and this information will be coming straight from the vaccine package inserts, and that's off the FDA and or CDC website. And sometimes from the manufacturer website. Right. And along with that, we'll be discussing the realities of the adverse reactions because we know that's where a lot of the concern comes in. We're going to try to (laughs) keep our personal feelings out of this as much as possible and to keep the tone and discussion neutral and respectful. Um, I... I don't know that we'll accomplish this, but if at the end of this episode, you can't really tell which way we each personally lean, that's a good thing. That's We've a done good a thing. good job. Second, only to showing you the process of how to make a decision, you should know that our final goal is that through this discussion, you're going to feel more compassion and understanding when you encounter someone who doesn't feel exactly like you do. I think that's kind of the big thing. And yeah. what we strive for, I know within the community, within the Facebook group, like have the conversation, get all the information, talk to other people about it. You don't necessarily it's a good thing to be talking about it out loud and and speaking about it but the judgment and the shaming and the it, that that's no where it stops that. yeah exactly because yeah. when you think about it everybody is looking through choices that they come across through the lens of their own personal life experiences and their own feelings and so I think um, humility and compassion and civility are always going to be the right answer it's interesting because I, I think it's wonderful to have convictions about stuff, but particularly when it comes to vaccines, I try to approach this topic in my mind from the attitude of this is how I feel and the decision that I've made for my children, but I could absolutely be wrong. Right. I see the validity to both sides and we hope that you can come from a place of seeing and listening too, because seeing doesn't always mean that you have to agree, right? I guess my point is don't be immediately dismissive of others and their point of view. Don't be resistant to new information. That's how we improve, right? right? And I think you brought up a great point. And this is, we definitely went over this with circumcision, right? We were like top of the list. But the truth is we're all trying to be the best mothers that we can be. That's yeah. why we care enough about the information to research it in the first place. It's why we pray and ask our friends about it. It's why it's a discussion and such a hot topic because we truly care. We want to do what's best for our children and that's where the respect needs to come in so now that we've berated you enough, I know be nice okay. people <laughs> be nice be open to new possibilities so how to research for yourself where the heck do you start well we can tell you where not to start <laughs> social media social media just beware of social media posts of Facebook group posts of articles on random sites or blogs on the on internet <laughs> mom's, mom's groups, groups. you are I determined I cannot stand mom's groups get out of bed but you guys articles on random sites or blogs or on the internet um if you if you come across something are the sources that they're linking to legit or is it somebody else's blog i i was in a discussion it actually had nothing to do with vaccines and this person i don't even know who they are stranger on a facebook thread put forth some really bold assumptions about um something that i hold it's a 
conviction that I have. And I was like, oh my gosh, is that is that right? And she had some links. So I clicked on one of them and it linked to somebody's Google Drive of notes. And then when they <laughs> and they would make some ridiculous claim and then you would click on, you know, and this is proven here and you would click on the link and it would go to somebody else's blog. And I'm like, oh gosh, you guys yeah, like, come yeah. on. So, um, but I do want to add this caveat just because you do find it in a social media post doesn't automatically make it wrong. Um, you can use that as a jumping off question, right? Like, oh, they said that this vaccine has this ingredient. That doesn't mean that it doesn't. But you then when you're researching that to see if that's right, you need to go seek out legitimate resources. Um, Be especially careful not to immediately reshare something unless you've actually vetted the information, right? So can I just share? I know Please I've been talking do. a lot. <laughs> a bad example of this and a good example of this. It reminds me of Animaniacs where they're like, good idea, bad idea. Do you yeah. remember watching this? Yes. Okay, that dated time us. For Ignore. Anima- yeah. <laughs> I think it's coming back around though. New kids are watching Animaniacs. Have it's- you seen the new... Yeah, maybe DuckTales? we shouldn't go here. Maybe. Is it DuckTales? There's like, it's Mickey and Minnie Mouse and it's got... No, oh, not DuckTales. Yes. Yeah. But I'm like, these are violent inappropriate (laughs) (laughs) okay all right so let me give you a bad example I had a family member in my immediate family text me um, a screenshot of a Facebook post she said somebody in our extended family sent this to me here's what the gist of what it said it said that we're all being microchipped And that they're doing it through the swabs. You know, the swabs, when you're getting COVID tested, they go up through your nose. They, they feels like it's touching part of your brain. They're like, that's where a microchip would need to be implanted. And so there's, there's, you can't see them. They're like microscopic microchips on the tips of these swabs. And everybody who's been tested for COVID, you've now got these in you. So if I've been tested like four times, do I have four chips? You are covered in the (laughs) microchip department. Okay. Um, so this, <laughs> I read this now, mind you, I, okay. I'm going to put on my tinfoil <laughs> hat here for a second. Tinfoil hat on conspiracy theorist Courtney right is here. <laughs> that would have been fun. Next time. Even I Coming read this. To you. <laughs> okay. Is, could there be some particle of truth? To, I just laughed. I was like, oh, I hope you're texting that as a joke to me and not because yes. you think that's legitimately true. Was it a joke? I, no, no, I no, didn't no. ask her because I didn't want to like be like, you couldn't be serious. And no. it like, what are your feelings? You just sent back LOL. We've been through this. I know. <laughs> I just need to text it back. But here's the thing. I'm not saying that there's not a patent for microchips. There is. I researched it on a legitimate <laughs> source, but I don't think that's how they're going about doing it. Let me give you a good example. Oh, <laughs> Where is what? this going? Keep I going. know. Hold on. Also on social media, there's an account that I actually really enjoy following. They're on Instagram. They're at just the inserts. And um, I, I enjoy this social media account because it shares information on vaccines. from They only go from the CDC or from the FDA. Um, and so, but again, just because they say something or post something mm-hmm. on there, the burden of it needs to be on you to go research that and verify the information that they're sharing. It's helpful if you know that they're getting stuff from the CDC. There can also be books written by credentialed people. Um, So those aren't like the most official sources you should be going to. But if it's written by an MD and they have research degrees and all these kind of things, then you could listen to that. Um, One of the books that I enjoy is called What Your Doctor May Not Tell You 
about children's vaccinations. We can link to that. I know it sounds like it's going to be biased. It's actually not. It's similar to Steph's and my approach. They share the good and the bad. Okay, so I know there are going to be people listening who are like, yes, but I think some of the CDC and FDA information is uh-huh. flawed. Are we talking We're about gonna this? We're going to talk about okay. that. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is there's a lot of bad out there on social media that's just plain cray cray. Crazy. It's yeah. just crazy. Yeah. Um, but there's there are some good things on there too. The point is wherever you're pulling it from, you need to go fact check that with a legitimate source. And I'm not talking about Snopes. So let's talk about what makes a credible source. Let's talk about Snopes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, what are legitimate, credible sources? A lot of them that we use, right, are like the PubMeds or the .gov, and that's not just for vaccines. That's for the birth stuff that we do. Anytime you're researching anything. Um, Vaccine inserts direct from the manufacturer. It's the same when we're talking about Cytotec or these other things. That's exactly what we send to you guys. Um, .edu, the medical journals, um, is... And even like Google has like a Google Scholar uh, function where you can search credible um, information off of there. If you have friends like we do who might be midwives and can look up information in their databases and you can also pay for those databases. Those are all places that you can go for information. And Stephanie alluded to, okay, but who's funding that research, right? Who's funding the school that this person attended? Um, You know, even when we're looking at things like, and these are less great sources, I wouldn't categorize these as the same as a .gov or whatever. But if we're looking at major news outlet stories or even .org, I feel like they're more likely to be asserting an agenda that could be there. Here's the thing. Everybody has an agenda. Even if Stephanie and I are saying that we're trying to remain neutral and just give you the facts about something, by well, virtue of the fact... agenda is helping, though. <laughs> yes. to help you. But I've had people say, well, this is factual information. But mm. the information that you're choosing to include or the information yeah. you're choosing to withhold will flavor... Right. What that perspective is. That's true. Just hold on, guys. We're getting somewhere. I promise. (laughs) So let's talk about vaccines and we're going to use legitimate sources and let's talk about how to research this. Okay. So the first thing that you can do, and I know that I did this as well, is you pull up the CDC vaccine schedule for your baby or for your child. Mm -hmm. Um, You look at everything that the pediatrician sends you and they usually, they're pretty good about either the insert or the the information sheet. Especially if you request it. Yes. Um, And you can even create your own spreadsheet with research for your for each vaccine listed um that's a good way to like pair them side by side and be able Mm -hmm. to look over the information all at once then you can turn it into a google drive and start a blog i'm just (laughs) (laughs) and then link to other people's blogs and it'll it'll be fun we're Um, kidding guys but (laughs) example so uh birth to 15 months there's 10 different vaccines and a total of 24 doses um there's different options for different vaccines you can google different options for dtap vaccine right so if you were to google um, you know, DTAP vaccine, Google will respond with there are six pediatric DTAP vaccines listed and currently used in the United States. There's Daptasil. Is that really the name? That sounds like jazz hands. <laughs> Maybe I said that wrong. Infinrix, Kinrix, Pediarix. Anyway, it goes on to list what those six are. So it's not like a, oh, it's just the one DTAP vaccine. No, there's actually six based off the manufacturer and who's making it. And what does that mean? I mean, we've had, there's been this issue with the COVID vaccine, right? Like AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson and Pfizer and Moderna. And and they all do different things a little bit and it matters. So that's all information to look at for sure. So here's the thing. Combo vaccines are going to be the most popular. So when you bring your little baby into the pediatrician and they say, okay, 
okay, there are two months. This is their two-month checkup. These are the shots that are recommended today. And it's just going to be two sticks because we've got a combo for these and whatever. Combo vaccines are the most popular. Um, and the pro to this is that your baby doesn't have to get stuck so many times. If there's like five different shots that they need, they're not having to get five different pokes. And that's nice. Right. And But we have heard kind of like the other side of that is when I was a kid, we didn't need... 200 vaccines by the time you were 18 however many it is you know we only got this many and anyways conversation for later but it is interesting to compare what um, a lot of us born maybe in the 80s 90s are there I guess there would be people born in the maybe no early 2000s who could be listening (laughs) but it's interesting to kind of compare what you got as a kid versus what's recommended now and it is more right it is yeah and I think too um it with a combo vaccine just to kind of take us back there if your child does have a reaction it might be harder to pinpoint wait which vaccine did they have a reaction to or was Mm -hmm. it the chemicals used for preserving that they had a reaction to all of that it, it gets a little tricky right yeah and i think the thing that always sort of confused me is that when you've got a baby who's ready to be introduced to solid foods do you guys remember this if you've already had babies your pediatrician's so good they're like okay we're only going to introduce one new food at a time and we're going to do that for about three days before we introduce anything new and you need to be watching for the following for allergic reactions um, because we need to know what specifically it would be that they're having an allergic reaction to and so i was always kind of confused but wait a minute we give these little two-month-olds these combo vaccines we're not separating them out how do, how do we know what they're having an allergy to that I don't know that was always a little bit confusing well, and some providers you do I mean you have the option that you can give one even if it's a combo vaccine give this one here and then wait a couple of weeks or a couple months and then we can do the next one so right that delayed or however you choose to space it out that is an option um, but even with that yeah the combo ones have several in them so and you can pay extra money or you can request um, single vaccines but talk to your pediatrician. Some offices allow that, some don't. I don't know what the pricing is. It's different from thing to thing. If you're wanting to be more careful, that can be an option. They can order those. It's just, it's a little more complicated. Well, that's something that's bothered me from the beginning. Like, what if I don't want all of DTAP, but I do want them to have tetanus? Like, I know that tetanus exists in the emergency room as a separate thing, but they don't necessarily have it at the pediatric office. And so, anyways, it's weighing those What if I want my kid to have polio, but not hepatitis B, but they only offer the polio with hepatitis? It's frustrating yes. for sure. Next, you're going to want to know more about the vaccine itself. Um, you can ask your doctor which brand of vaccine they carry at your specific or at that specific office and different mm-hmm. offices may have different vaccines. Um, and then the best place to research is always the package insert. That's going to have all the information itself. You can Google it. You can bring it up at any time now and keep track of them because they change. So I know just a couple years back, there was a change with the MMR and it started to include some other adverse reactions that we had been hearing when people were having trouble with, but they were claiming, well, it's not on the vaccine insert, so it doesn't exist. Um, And that's the truth. If it's not on there, it doesn't exist. Don't get me started. That is a whole, that's not just vaccines. That is all all things medical. Um, But ingredients, it'll have the ingredients, the side effects, the most common ones, the less common ones, the rates of adverse reactions. It also has the information to contact in case you do have an adverse reaction. Um, And if you have questions or concerns, highlight them. 
print it off, talk to your doctor, um, write notes in the margin, like keep track of everything so that you can ask all the right questions. Yeah, because for example, when I had that question about, wait a minute, why do we talk about spacing out food, but we're not doing that with the combo vaccines? That would be a really great, maybe there's something I, who I don't have advanced degrees in biology or chemistry or whatever, um, maybe that's something I just don't understand from my limited knowledge. And so if I can ask that of someone who knows more than I do on this subject, that can be helpful. So it's okay to have questions, write them out. Another thing that you're going to want to research is the origin of the vaccine. Um, many of the vaccines that we have are derived from aborted fetal cell lines, and that could be a moral issue for some of our listeners, depending on their beliefs. And so that's something you'll want to check out. Yeah, and then make sure that you research the disease itself. How prevalent is it in your actual area? You know, um, United States versus other countries will definitely have different rates. Mm -hmm. um, and even your specific area, different states or counties or sections or whatever, um, definitely looking into that is important. And then the disease history. Was there a marked decline in that disease after the vaccine was introduced? And can it be attributed solely to the vaccine? You know, we saw... Um, even with like hand washing and sanitation and yeah. there are other things that happened around the same time and so anyways the point is it's good for you to take all the information in research and then come to a conclusion yourself yeah. um but and you gave an example too yeah exactly there were certain diseases that we started to see a lot more often but they kind of tended to coincide with the introduction of pesticides being sprayed on our food or um you know water conditions and so they're it's so nuanced. There's a lot more into this than just the vaccine and the disease itself. Right. And then who does it affect? Like the age group? Um, are you or your baby particularly susceptible or would you have adverse reactions if you received this um, or if you got this disease? Um, consider your child's situation. Are they at an increased risk of, of exposure to that disease specifically? Yeah. Um, and that can even have to do with, you know, are they in a group setting a lot, right? Like exactly. are they in childcare versus, versus being at home? Is there anything in my baby's genetic makeup or family history? history uh, that would cause be a cause for concern regarding this disease or for the vaccine. Yeah, either one. So for example, if you have a child um, who has a severe allergy to eggs, you're going to want to research the vaccine ingredient list because there are many that have remnants of that in there. If you have a history of autoimmune disorders like MS or lupus in your family or other immune response related issues, you're really going to want to do a risk benefit analysis here because the vaccines um, stimulate an immune response. That's what they're designed to do. Do. That's part of the how they offer you protection, but that's not um, that's not always a good thing for everybody, right? Another thing to pay attention to would be recovery outcomes for that disease. Let me give you an example. Does anybody remember the Flintstones? Meet the Flintstones, right? <laughs> yes. Or maybe you've heard of it. It's probably not a cartoon a lot of you saw commonly. I did as a kid, but we're yeah. older. Chicken pox and measles were so common during childhood that there's actually an episode where they've got measles. It was kind of like a childhood rite of passage. I had chicken pox as I a had kid. Pox. <laughs> there's yep. pictures of me. I'm one year old and it's Christmas time and I'm just covered head to toe mm. um christmas tree <laughs> <laughs> i was i was a little blonde christmas Terrible. tree <laughs> anyway so um is it something that most people recover from just fine you want to pay attention to natural immunity meaning you've had that disease and you've recovered from it versus vaccine immunity what's the follow-up um 
does natural immunity win you lifelong immunity? With some things it does, with others it doesn't. Does the vaccine immunity require boosters throughout life? I can tell you young adults aren't super great about remembering to get those. And here's... Which, side note, right, herd immunity. Like, that's something to research, too, because herd immunity, in the way that they describe it, in my opinion, doesn't necessarily exist. And that's because we have young adults and adults and, like, grown people who are like, I I did that when I was younger. And I got my kindergarten shots, and they haven't had anything since then. And so um, we we think that we've attained this certain level. But actually, if you were to check titers, which is you do that through blood work to see what how much immunity you have for something, it might not it may be lower than what right. we think. Totally. Um, and another thing to consider, I had to do this with my boys, is if your child were to get that disease later in life, meaning not in childhood, due to missing a booster or by not getting that disease naturally, is there an increased risk? And a good example of this is chicken pox. If you get chicken pox as a young kid, um, you're, you're typically gonna do fine. I mean, you're gonna have a fever and there's all that kind of stuff, right? But you recover and you're okay. If you get chicken pox, especially as a male, as a young adult, that can cause sterility. That can lead to a hospitalization and those are things to consider. Right, or if you get, if you don't have it and you get chicken pox while you're pregnant, that can actually be terrible for baby. So yeah, yeah all of those, I, there's just a lot of things there's to so consider. There's so much to take in. That's why we can't give you all the research here. We're teaching you how to do it. And yourself. that's where, yeah, you will, it is a rabbit hole. <laughs> it's a it giant is. rabbit hole. Don't, try not to stress so so much about this do what you can and make the best decision you can with information you have so once you've done all this it's time for a risk and benefit analysis are the symptoms and potential outcomes of the disease better worse or comparable to these side effects or potential adverse reactions of the immunization and we think that vaccines can do good um, but they are not a one-size-fits-all just as when we talk about things for labor and birth and pregnancy Um, so some would say that they're one-size-fits-most but at the end of the day you need to do your research and feel comfortable with the decision that you made for yourself and your family. Um, I think it's important, right, that you check in with your mommy gut. Trust that intuition. All right, so we've walked you through how to research vaccines, steps we recommend you take, what you need to look at. Now we're going to actually put this into play by giving you an example. And the one that we've picked is hepatitis B. This is a vaccine that babies usually receive within the first one to two hours of being born, um, especially in a hospital setting. And it's given to all babies within 24 hours of birth, unless you specifically decline it. So since this is the first one your little one's going to see, that's the one we chose. Okay. So let's get into the origin of the vaccine. Um, It's created for IV drug users. What does that mean, Court? (laughs) People who are shooting up things like heroin. Okay, so intravenous, yes, like some kind of... Anyways, so if you read through the pamphlet, and that's kind of we're giving you the gist or pulling out information from that here, that's what you would read on there. This is created for people who use drugs intravenously. It's also created for sexually promiscuous men and women also known as people who have many sexual partners. I shouldn't say created for. This is why it exists. Like this is where this stuff comes from. This is what they're trying to prevent it against. So it says if you do these things, yes, you should have this vaccine, right? Um, On top of that, if the mother has hepatitis B. Yeah. And they say too, if if you know your baby's going to be coming into contact with, maybe mom doesn't have it, but dad has it or, you know, whatever the case. If that baby's going to be coming into close contact with someone who does have hepatitis B, they'll be preparing their food or babysitting them or having close contact, then that would be another point of of interest to be able to get that vaccine. 
So here's the thing. Babies don't fit the first two categories, right? <laughs> Your little one's not shooting up back behind the school parking lot or whatever. You don't know my babies. <laughs> <laughs> They're not sexually promiscuous. And so they really only fit in potentially to that last category, meaning babies born to mothers with hepatitis B. And that is that occurs in less than 1% of babies born. So that's a really, really small number. Um, one thing you should know about the origin of this vaccine is it was the first genetically engineered vaccine, and it's not a live vaccine, so there's no potential to cause hepatitis B, but it does trigger the body's immune system in ways that appear to have a correlation to autoimmune disorders. So they decided to immunize all new babies against hepatitis B because they noticed that adults who were in this high-risk group who were fitting those first two profile pieces we talked about, they weren't really getting the hepatitis B vaccine the way that they needed to. And so they're like, you know what, we're just going to give it to all babies since that's not happening, which I mean, if they're a drug dependent user, they're probably not, they don't have the frame of mind to think I need to go get I myself go a get vaccine, my, yeah. you know, <laughs> better so. go pick that up. Um, okay. So let's talk about the disease history. Uh, it's contagious though, not highly. It's a contagious though, not highly contagious disease. Did yeah. I say that right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, it can only be gotten through the mix of bodily fluids um, and blood and semen only specifically. So when we're talking about bodily fluids, it's not like not your spit, spit right? Or and it's I'm saliva, to think right? of other I'm fluids. Like, mm. <laughs> we'll just stick with blood and semen. Yep. Um so it has to enter through the through a cut in the skin or the vagina, the anus, the mouth, some kind of like opening to the internal parts of the body. Pregnant women who have it can pass it along to the to their baby and so I you know, it's one of those things. Like here here we go back to wanting to make sure that we kind of blanket everybody because we don't know who's going to have it. And so we want to make sure to protect all these babies. The idea is good. The thought process is good. But if you're very aware of, like, I know I'm not shooting up and I don't <laughs> have a ton of sexual partners and I'm pretty sure, you know, I, yeah. I this is a safe thing, then I can choose a little more safely. Should I get this for my baby? Should I not? Yeah. And we're going to talk about options and alternatives with this one specifically because you might, we'll get there, but you might say, I don't think my baby needs it right now or maybe not even within the first year of life, but we're heading to preschool or we're heading to kindergarten, I don't know what they're going to come in contact with. So we'll talk about those options here in a minute. Um, so this hepatitis B is a disease that infects the liver and it can cause permanent damage. Um, about 200 to 300 million people have chronic hepatitis B. The majority of these people are in Asia or Africa, where approximately 20% of the population does have hepatitis B. The U.S. and Canada, which I know that's where a lot of our listeners are coming from, they have some of the lowest hepatitis B rates, and that was even before the vaccine was introduced. So the disease starts off with flu-like symptoms, which I feel like everything starts off with flu-like <laughs> right? symptoms right now, and then signs that the liver is infected. That can be like jaundice or dark pee, urine, um, a tender liver, or other things like that. 95% uh, of hep B cases recover completely and those who do have lifelong immunity, which is awesome if you're one of, if you're in the like bigger percentage that yeah. Yeah, doesn't have an issue later. 5% become chronic cases. Um, they're developed over decades and they often become liver cancer, which can obviously become a cause of death. So let's talk about who's at risk, right? So do you see how we're going through here? We've talked about the origin of the vaccine. Um, we've talked about the disease history, who it affects. And so now you're going to take a look at, okay, who's actually at risk? Well, we already mentioned 
the categories of people. Children then are kind of the least vulnerable in this group. And so you need to evaluate for yourself, is my baby susceptible? Do you have hepatitis B? Does your partner? Um, you have to keep in mind that sexually transmitted infections aren't always screened through routinely through your obstetrician or your midwife or whoever. Um, you need to be thinking about, will my baby be around people who do have hepatitis B? They're caregivers. You need to kind of evaluate that. I know that there are some HIPAA things. People don't always have to disclose that, but that can be helpful to know. Um, will your baby be undergoing lots of medical procedures? Um, the stars would really have to align, I feel like, for <laughs> somebody to be, you know, helping your baby through a surgery who has hepatitis B and they happen to have an open cut and they aren't wearing proper um, personal protective equipment and that gets into your baby's blood. I mean, really, that's kind of an extreme, right? Wait, what's that movie with the, is it Bruce Willis? That's it. Now I'm going to get it all mixed up. I don't, I do this with actors all <laughs> the time. Is it contagious? Yeah. Oh, I don't know that it was called Contagion. Oh, that's not like Damon the, and Gwyneth Paltrow. Were there monkeys involved? I don't know. But anyway, she was like one of the doctors was like treating somebody and he was like freaking out and she accidentally stabbed her finger. Yeah. And she's like, that's it. Like I'm infected. And so she ends up like going around and helping. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so that could happen. Stars aligned there. Are there monkeys where your baby's going to be having <laughs> surgery? I'm just kidding. So you also need to think about where do you live? Do you live in Asia? Do you live in Africa? These are things to consider. We're going to get to ingredients in a minute, but you also then need to take into account allergies, family history. Has anybody in your family had an adverse reaction to this vaccine? So you're looking at the big picture here specific to your child. Okay, so let's talk about the dosing, um, the ingredients, the side effects, what that looks like for this vaccine. Okay, so the one that we're going to look at today is called Recombivax mm -hmm. by Merck. <laughs> I was afraid I was going to say that wrong. Um, this information is only from the CDC and from Merck. It's not from anybody's blog, so you can trust this and we can cite sources here. Yes. Um, so there's three doses that are given. The first one is at birth, the second is one to two months, and the third is between six and 16 months. As far as ingredients go, we're not going to get into the whole list here. I feel like that would take hours to go through one by one. But I want to point your attention to this particular vaccine has baker's yeast in it. And you might be like, what's the big deal with baker's yeast, right? Well, if you have a, a severe life-threatening food allergy or your baby does or something, then you need to be aware that some vaccines have things like um, egg, yeast, gluten, that kind of stuff in there. You just want to pay attention to that ingredient list as you're going through. Um, another one, and I'm not going to get into this. I'm going to recommend that you, I'll say what it is, and then you go Google it and see what your thoughts and feelings are on it. But aluminum hydroxyphosphate, go, uh, go Google that one. And I'm just trying to draw your attention to what some of these things are in there and your comfort level, your personal comfort level with that being in a vaccine for your child. Well, and I think it's an interesting time to be discussing this as well because things like Hep B or, I mean, I mean, how many of us really knew, if we're being honest, the different manufacturers and that they could have different ingredients and that they have different effects and that they have to be taken at different times before COVID. Now it's mainstream media and we've had this conversation about the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna and the Janssen or Johnson & Johnson. And so this is information that some of us have looked into previously, have information about, but I do I do appreciate the conversation that is being had now and the information being um, more prevalent. Uh, parents are more involved, I think, in the decision-making process, um, especially with their babies, and they want to know more about vaccines, I think, thanks to COVID yeah. um, and being interested in that. So this is 
this I just love that we're going over this and this is, you know, like we're talking about this specific vaccine with this specific company so that you guys can do your specific research on that. And how often do we it wasn't until I started researching vaccines that I asked, which vaccine are you do you have at this pediatrician's office? They yeah. don't tell you, by the way, this is the Merck, you know, like right. that's not a topic of conversation. So it's good to be able to read the pamphlet. It's good to go over the ingredients. It's good to be educated on it. Yes, we trust our doctors. There's a reason we pick our providers and, and trust what they have to say. Yes, it also falls on us, the consequences of whatever we do. It's interesting because I've got some family members that are, I'm going to take whatever vaccine the government tells me to. And that's that's great. They feel very strongly about that. Um, but it's funny because our whole family was having a discussion about, you're right, the different COVID vaccines. And they're like, oh, man, I'm so glad I got the Moderna one instead of that Johnson & Johnson one right. that all these countries are pulling. So I'm I'm glad. You're right. I'm glad, too, that that yeah. conversation is happening because now you know that, hey, that MMR, that hepatitis B vaccine for your kiddo, there's different manufacturers and, and they've got some nuances to them. So you're going to want to research those. So let's talk about side effects, adverse reactions. First of all, you need to know that our country here in the United States, we do have something called VAERS. It's the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System where you can go and you can report an adverse event or a side effect to a particular vaccine. One of the things that you need to keep in mind if you ever take a look at this database is that the FDA suspects that only about 10% of adverse reactions are actually reported. So you need to Take it with a grain of salt. There's a lot of underreporting that just it just doesn't happen. Um, injuries to people who have reactions to the vaccines, those are paid out by taxpayers. There's no manufacturer liability there. And according to the CDC, most people don't have reactions. That's good. You might have soreness, mild to moderate fever. Your pediatrician is going to be really good at mentioning those things. And serious allergic reactions are rare. Um, but again, we're, we're still underreporting here. Well, and I think what's important to notice is that there is a system for reporting because there are things that do happen. Yeah. So I, I know as a young mom and my first babies and they hand you the information at, at your visits and it's just kind of listed on there at the end of the, what is it, like the vaccine handout that they give you yeah. for each vaccine that they give you. Um, but it's information that should be on the bottom of that paper, like backside bottom of that paper. And it's like, here you can report all your stuff. And I just glanced over it. I was like, okay, well, that's, you know, good to know. Not pausing to think there's a place to report because things do happen because we're, right. we're told, you know, oh, well, for the majority, it's safe. And that's true. Or for the majority, this, for the majority, that. And coming back to having discussed with women who have had adverse reactions, either themselves or with their children, then it becomes a little more interesting of a conversation to have. And then researching, and this is, you know, something for you to do on your own as well researching that information you can fda puts out anytime they pay out anything that makes it to the court you can look at all that information and yeah. so anything that is reported goes to court it's paid out all that information is there i do think it's interesting and we're not taking sides here 100 percent, but i do think it's interesting that there's no manufacturer liability that drives me a little bit crazy in yeah. fact so i like to tell people i had said that i don't want you to know what side we're on at the end of this but i'll just be honest i I'm pro safe vaccines. I think vaccines can do a lot of good. 
but I don't think they're as safe as what they could be. And I kind of have to wonder if the manufacturer isn't held liable, what motivation do they have to make them safer? Right. You know what I mean? So it's I don't a, know. any company thing, right? Like say you've got a baby wash and that baby wash gives the child a reaction, yeah. but they don't have to, it, no, no skin off their back because the neighbor's going to pay for it. You know, right. it's, it's a different, it just, I think it puts you in a different place. So I just, it's interesting. Like, why wouldn't they be? <laughs> yeah. So even if you're like, nope, I'm going to get it all. I think that there's room to recognize that it could be better. We could have some better checks and balances in this system um, just so that we can make them a little bit safer. So here's what we've got with Recombivax. There were 71 deaths reported with this particular brand, which represents only about 0.25% of the adverse events reported meaning there were other adverse reactions, not just death. Um, death only represents that much. And so some of those, we're not going to go through the whole list. There's a lot of them and it's a lot of data if you're actually on the VERS database, but we'll just kind of um, pick some of these out that were reported side effects with this vaccine. Okay. So some of those were things like fever, which you almost expect from a vaccine, uh, lupus-like syndrome, transverse myelitis. I shouldn't have brought that up because I honestly don't know what that is. Uh, <laughs> seizure or febrile seizures, um, migraines, optic neuritis, tinnitus, conjunctivitis. Did I even say neuritis? That was correct. I, don't, I also don't know what optic neuritis is. Um, <laughs> oh, fainting. So I, yeah. I don't know. Multiple, Irritability, agitation. Yeah, multiple sclerosis. Eczema. eczema. We see so Topic much for a different day. Yeah. Um, anyway, so muscle weakness, irritability, agitation, um, palsy, Bell's palsy, things like that. So, and like Steph pointed out, there is a number because illnesses and severe reactions can and do occur. There is money paid out because things like this do happen. And so here is the thing. And we say this so much. I feel like maybe we should, we should have t-shirts <laughs> with this on. You, you have, have options. options. I, I agree. I think we might need the t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Although you and I keep gesturing right here. Mm. Is it just going? across the chest yeah That's well <laughs> you have options I don't know if you've listened to previous episodes where we gave you brain right brain stands for benefits risks alternatives intuition no or need more time and that applies here and honestly that's going to apply for pretty much any medical anything for the rest of your life no matter birth or or otherwise you can research alternatives. For some vaccines, there's alternative treatment options, right? It doesn't mean that they're as effective. For example, with the polio, um, most of the time we're getting a live polio injection, but there is an oral polio option. You can research that. You can take a look at alternative or delayed immunization schedules. You can choose to say no to some of these and yes to some. That's okay too. Uh, you can say that you need more time. Like for real, if you're still not sure what you want to do, you can ask to have a little more time to think about that. I know um, I, with my first baby, I didn't know that immediately that hep B was going to be coming. I hadn't had any of this information prior. When they came in and they were like, okay, we're here to vaccinate your baby. I was like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like he hasn't been alive for 24. Just like, let's chill for a moment. Um, and I did have a pediatrician come in and say to me, it was actually the pediatrician that was doing him circumcision, which was super comfortable for me. <laughs> but he just like railed into me and was like, if you're not going to vaccine, I'm not going to be your pediatrician, just so you know. And I was like, I just started crying because I'm like, I just oh, had wow. a cesarean. I just, I like, can I just have a I was just asking for time to think about it. Can I have the information on the vaccine? Like, wait, I didn't right. know. 
Um, so anyways, yeah, you can ask for more time and it's really important that you have that space to make that decision for your baby. Hopefully you're taking that time now before baby's born, but you can absolutely delay that for sure. For me personally, it would be a red flag if I said, can I have some time to read over this? Can we, can we talk about it at the next visit that my baby comes to? And if I get a ton of shaming or pushback or, um, fear mongering, like, don't you want your child? I don't know. For me, that probably wouldn't be the right pediatrician because I want somebody that's going to respect my need to do some research and have some time. Um, for most of these things, the likelihood of your baby picking up pet B in the next two weeks is going to be slim. So you have time to think about it. Maybe you want to wait on that MMR until your child is three. You can get knowledgeable and you have time to do your research. You can be open to hearing new perspectives and information. And we mean that for both sides of this debate. Yeah. And you can follow your intuition. It's not a one size fits all. And a mother who chooses to vaccinate or doesn't choose to vaccinate is likely doing what she feels is best for her baby. Um, And so it needs to be respected on both sides. Courtney and I are super big on that. It's the same with circumcision or any of these hot topics. You have the right to choose for your family and for your baby, and you have the right to be respected along the way. You do. You want somebody who encourages you to listen to that intuition and a provider. You are a great mom, no matter what you choose. If you're worrying and wondering, am I am I doing this right? Am I a great mom? You're already a great mom. Great moms worry about stuff like that. Also, tr- none of us are doing this right. right. We're <laughs> all winging cow. it. Yeah. We trust you. We are cheering you on always. All right, mamas, we will be back with more tips and advice soon. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe so that you get notifications first about new episodes. And don't forget to head over to myessentialbirth.com for more information on the birth course and to join our online community serving pregnant mamas just like you. 